Hello and welcome to the Biz First Dev Podcast. I'm your host, James Robert, and my co-host... Hey, I'm Mick Posen. Why do you love you? This week we're going to make a foray into NPR's territory and talk about the news. Of course the... Uh... <clears throat> oh yeah, it's episode 23. <laughs> we're very professional. Yes. <laughs> Don't let the intro fool you. I think the most timely th- news thing to talk about, anything worth talking about in the news-wise, is uh, Robin Williams' suicide. Jeez, way to start on a downer. Yeah. Um, well, it's just, it's, it hurts. Um, I mean, I've never, ever, ever cared for a celebrity. I mean, when Heath Ledger, Heath Ledger died, yeah, shit, it sucked. Uh, you know, he just saw him the Joker, but I, I, there was no, there was, there was loss of talent, but there wasn't a loss of, I didn't feel loss of a person. I, I'm sure. I didn't yeah. identify with him anyway. Robin Williams, though, I mean, like everybody else who posts my newsfeed, he defined my childhood. I mean, I, for me, I think it was a little bit more because he looks like my dad. So whatever tens times I had with my dad, I sometimes turned to Robin Williams in a way, inadvertently, or maybe just here's this person who's very, very giddy, and he looks like my dad, so I can kind of ascribe some of the features to him. Hmm. And he was just... Robin was so in tune with all of his craziness and all the sadness that the only way he was able to make us laugh so much was that he was so in tune with it. And you need to have a complete, I mean, maybe he wasn't, he, I guess he wasn't prepared to handle it, but at least exposure to it. For some reason, his doors were, were unlocked and he went to all those different places and however dark they were. And he was able to come back from them and then just spew out a whole bunch of stuff. Um, very, very silly, silly stuff. His accents, his energy. I mean, it's clear that he was still, he struggled in some way. I mean, it's not as if he found some sort of enlightened space where he was able to deal with his demons. He, I mean, he didn't have two forays into alcoholism, lots of drug usage. Part of that was uh, possibly because he couldn't handle fame and then just being around that type of environment where he was constantly... Uh, indulgence was facilitated in every possible way. Everyone, it was almost a, a way of life. And he lost one thing, lost another thing, but he was always, everything I've read about him, and granted the best things about him are coming out now, was his relentless kindness. I remember reading today about how some someone's daughter came on set. She was four years old, and he, and he overheard that she said she was hungry, and he walked over and he got her a muffin. That just, that's just what he did. He you know, gave a, a comedy. He was screaming out the window at a, a group of 200 people when they came outside, I think, from his house or for an interview or something along those lines, or people congregated. And he just started chatting and, and just giving, and giving funny bits. It's just, it's, he just went on and on. I mean, and he, he definitely had his downtime. He, had his, you know, he observed. He was quiet. He, people thought that he looked sad, but he was, just, he was digesting the world. And, but he was so unbelievably... Expressive, just uninhibited. That was a thing. Whatever came to mind in every possible way, it just it just happened. It flowed. That's that's and that this is why so many people are so affected by it because he. I don't think that there was enough, and there's such an outpour of for, after for someone since I'm gonna say since Michael Jackson, like Maya Angelou passed recently, and I don't remember seeing that much on Facebook. But today, who Maya Angelou? Oh, uh, I slurred that word. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but here, maybe just my generation, we just we identified with the, with this person more. I remember if maybe I, yeah. people who are older who identify with my Angelou more. But no, this year. I mean, the level of fame was really, really different. It's true. And opposed to, yeah, I mean, poetry you can only connect so much to. 
someone who's more expressive and you can just you see his 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 nonsense uh and it just it's you know his he made a life out of being silly but in a very calculated and introspective way where it resonated it wasn't just some crude humor he made it he made it count and there was that too crude humor. Oh, of course it was, no, but 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 he made it count it, it wasn't needlessly crude it wasn't it wasn't tasteless it went over the top but it was never tasteless because we knew where it was coming from and where he was coming from so i guess probably his his reputation in and of itself preceded him somehow but it just it's we get so lost in day-to-day stuff and i mean everything that we're having i guess this goes back to the the so sharing economy social economy discussion we had but you know what we have the way we live now is not the way we've ever lived and, and by the same token it's not the way we've ever, we're ever gonna live and but we we forget that we think that everything that's around us is exactly how what the, what the world we were born into this is this is what we think is an, it, it is even though every single everything besides no just no this thud is my dropping something besides physics and which is even then that's somewhat we're still discovering exactly how physics work given that the two most popular theories of gravitational gravitational theory and quantum mechanics are at odds with each other they can't inherently coexist so finally when we figured out what that what the unifying theory is going to blow our minds entirely but there's nothing objective nothing remotely objective everything every single mental schema interpretation is subjective we have a limited scope of what we view of what we can see interpret and understand and even visualize of, of our environment in terms of processing something you know we have shrimp that can see more than us well there's a lot of things that can see more than us and that whatever mental schema we have that we operate with we can shirk it off and adopt something new and if you travel to any you know, indigenous culture, they view things differently. There's one indigenous culture that they can count zero, one, two, and then many. They just haven't had a need to count beyond two. That's fine for them. And just it, it's hard to imagine a world like that, or how people function. Can't be many people. Like they just they just didn't didn't need to pass count two. They need to they didn't need to count past two. But there are a number of basic survival kinds of things where counting past two comes in handy. Like, this isn't like ivory tower stuff. This is like, if you take only two people mm-hmm. to hunt, no, no. I don't know, say a bear. So you take many. You're, well, okay, if you take three, you're still probably going to lose. If you take five, then you'll be okay. Maybe they have gradations of many, so it's still like they're still counting in a different way, but they haven't needed to develop. Or maybe they're so in tune with their community. But they, even, okay, so how do you differentiate between a family that has one child versus a family that has two child? Like... Two children. I. You call them a family. We're we're trying. It's, to, it's like so. We're trying to interpret how their minds work using the mental schema that we've developed. We can't. There has to that. be more nuance than just. I'm sure there is, but the we can't interpret that because we just we fundamentally have and we are because of this. They're fundamentally mutually exclusive. We we cannot understand what it is because of how long we lived here. Unless we go there and we somehow forget, which is depends on how. Se- how capable of acclimating you are but it just the, the with all these mental schemes you can kind of cherry pick should you be able to get to the point where you can really really you know take off your mental sarcophagus and put on a new one if you want to you find one that fits and then you put on a new one nothing really matters besides the things that the things that make your heart beat not literally 
but also, I guess, literally, the things that make it go a little faster. Yeah, it makes it go a little faster. That's what counts. The memories, I mean, you ha- I mean, this is such a cheesy thing, especially coming from somebody so young, but you don't, you don't, you don't give a shit about your job. You don't give a shit about your education. At the end of it, you're not going to give a shit about any of it, but you're all going to remember what impact you made, who you cared about, and not a frivolous impact. I mean, something that really actually matters, things that actually made someone's life better. Not Nothing, this frivolous nonsense of, well, we need a better way to deliver pizza. No, we don't need any kind of better way to deliver pizza. We need people to, to the people are capable of caring for one another, for sticking together, for valuing what we have, where we are, and where we're going. So, there is no need to actually work. There's no f- ultimate biological principle to work. There's a biological principle of some sort or maybe some sort of inner system of creation, of, of creating something. But you look at animals, they don't really need to work. They need to survive and do things to survive. We've developed, a, crafted a whole system of different careers and different pathways. And it's all of these self-perpetuating notions of, well, do this and do this and, and build up, build out this other thing so that these other things can work. You know, you have to build out a judicial system and you have to build a, a criminal system and a penal system and these things all work together. But if you let them all fall apart in some way, you can restructure how, what life can come to or what, what the things that you cherish value. You know, you fast forward years, you know, to any kind of utopian society, I do want to say fast forward there and not just a picture on, you know, fingers crossed we don't just wipe ourselves off the planet or have another religious outbreak or a bull outbreak, whatever you need. In a, to a place where, I mean, can you imagine a, play, imagine a time when people are more in tune with, I guess, uh, what life is supposed to be or what, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm alleging life is supposed to be? Uh, people are in tune with themselves, with the planet, with each other living harmoniously and the harmony is really the key thing live according to nature's principles and improve upon the things we can improve i i'm having a hard time really believing that what you're describing is real real life real a real possibility of the future i don't i mean i i'm really i'm trying not to sort of shrink back away from the statement just because just because it sounds so similar to the kinds of things that make me roll my eyes but i don't but, i mean but, i have a hard time believing that we can all just not be humans and not do the like not be self-interested and wait wait but but these are things yeah we could be self-interested but so here's as animals these things are there but you, you do have animals showing compassion if we can realize okay we have we've developed these types of this side of consciousness, this higher order consciousness, and we've decided we're going to deliberately follow the system in, that that nurtures this side. I mean, if you think about religious customs, why were they developed? Well, presumably, in meditation, I mean, if you wake up in the morning and you meditate or you pray, you kind of you set up the type of you t- set up the mind frame of what your th- of of thought you want you want you want to have. You want to cultivate a certain sense of mental being. And then, you know, lunchtime comes and you have to do it again. You have to, you, you want to fine tune it because you get so distracted. Then you do it again before, before you go to bed. This, this is the type of prayer that people have. I mean, some people pray five times a day, some people pray three times a day. You know, the Muslim faith, it's five. In Jewish faith, it's three, plus a couple other things like after, before and after food. You try to in, instill distinct awareness and you cultivate an empathy and maybe not a fear, but a, an awareness that there's something bigger beyond you of some sort. And if it's for the sake of cultivating community, I mean, if you wonder why do so many religions focus on cultivating community, bringing people together, because we're healthier that way. We feel better. We have found certain things, certain ancient wisdom has proven time and again that we work better this way. So 
Yes. I, I don't know that that's necessarily the, the using the word proven in that sentence. I, I take issue with. I don't think anyone has proven that we work better either way. I mean, certainly humanity's greatest accomplishments have not occurred using that system. I mean, the world is more secular than it's ever been, and we're accomplishing things that no one ever could have dreamed of. Well, so this is what I'm saying about religious, not that you need to have this fear of God instilled within you, which I'm very much against this anthropomorphic notion of a God, but the wisdom that's inherent to religion in the communal sense. And this is where I guess, I wonder if this is because I'm I'm speaking from from the inside out of the very distinct notion of culturally Jewish but religiously unaffiliated. Which is so uncommon. I mean, you don't hear about I'm a culturally Christian and but religiously an atheist. It tends, yeah. But all the I mean, the the whole idea of culturally Jewish but mm-hmm. religiously whatever atheist mm-hmm. or anything it doesn't even matter religiously is kind of the effect of culturally anything when you spread out a culture. Like when you take a group of people that are all of one culture and then you spread them all over the place. But there's there's that, been Jewish diaspora for thousands of years, and right, there's well, still the, been that sense of like there's still been this these that's traditions. sort of a geopolitical artifact of the yeah. Jewish heritage, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess it is inadvertently so, but it's 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 not a. Um, just, the idea of communities mm-hmm. and sort of the the sense of belonging to a community and all of the positive benefits that that has, I think, can be reaped without any kind of like shared race or shared culture or shared society. Which is, well, I would say without shared race, without shared culture, but you need to have something shared so you have this sense of belonging. What I would like to see eventually is us go to a sense of belonging on a mass scale. So we realize, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. So first, we're all stardust. We happen to be all stardust in this particular form that's taken that's taken shape as humans. We're all on this one planet that we're, gonna, we're that we're in the middle of destroying, and we're among these other animals who are also here that are also made up of stardust, but they're shaped a little bit differently. We depend on them; they depend on us. They're plants that we eat. Everything, everything that's in around us mm-hmm. is interdependent. We happen to have grown a little bit beyond our our means, or beyond uh, presumably carrying capacity of the planet. Although some people would argue otherwise, there are certain things that. We are not in tune with how they work. I think I might argue otherwise. About what? That we're beyond the carrying capacity of the planet. Not because I don't think that global warming is... Like, I'm not a, an apologist or a denier or anything, but I maybe I just have more confidence that human ingenuity will discover a solution for how the planet actually can carry this many people. I mean, every for instance, like let's talk about peak oil. Every time they say, we're like, oh, we're running out of oil. This is the beginning of the end. They discover, I don't know, some new oil in Alaska, or maybe they, we should stop using oil for th- for fuel. Maybe we should. Sp- they start. They discover hydraulic fracking. Whatever. And the and point is, whenever I'm not saying that those things are good or right. that we should continue using oil forever, because obviously there is a limited supply. But I just I <laughs> I'm going to sound like a libertarian, but I actually think market forces solve those kinds of things really well. And whenever whenever we say, you know, this is the end. We, the world, the planet can no longer sustain, insert anything here. It always seems to turn out that actually it, it could. Or we just haven't caught the effects of it yet. That, the, that there's going to be a, a delay. We've crossed the threshold and there's going to be a delay and then it's going to hit. Yeah. And so, let, for instance, the world is getting warmer. And are we going to have to go into um, 
climate engineering? What do they call it? Geoengineering? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, probably. But can we do that? I mean, we've never done it before, but I have pretty high confidence that if if the survival of six billion people hinges on it, yeah, we we would actually succeed at changing the climate through engineering mechanisms. Assuming that we have the savvy to do that. I'm sure that people work on it, but... Well, we didn't have the savvy to do hydraulic fracking, and now we do. That's because there's money to be made there. And there will be money to be made saving six billion lives. I'm no, but quite s- confident. <laughs> but that's the problem. There isn't. There's a massive cost in it. But that's And that's why we haven't made too many moves on uh, equipping ours. Yeah, but you're not counting the fact that all of those six billion people and their per, like the per capita GDP of the planet will be... If you tell someone you're going to die tomorrow unless you shell over half of everything that you're going to earn for the rest of your life, people will still say, okay, you can take like the planet, half the planet's GDP and put that towards geoengineering well, probably. We're going to, right. We just have to get to the point where enough people, we, we haven't, the problem is, I think, until we reach that panic moment, yep. nothing's going to happen, but that panic moment will be when it's too late. I suspect that the panic moment is going to be exactly that a panic moment it's going to be like a wall street crash nothing changed about the economy from one day to the next except for that people realized that it was bad and then all of a sudden everybody's trying to pull out their money from the banks like there's bank runs happening that the you know freddie mac and fannie mae are getting bailed out by the government and there's secret you know meetings between the the government officials and you know basements and all this stuff happening and nothing really changed from one day to the next except for one one event, like one threshold was reached that sets off a chain reaction. I, I want to go back to the self-interest thing for a second. Self-interest? You s- yeah. You see animals that function well together. Mm-hmm. And every now and then you have one that stands out, and yeah, they fight with another, and occasionally monkeys attack another, and they do have, they do have tribal warfare, and yes, they do some odd things that we consider, according to puritanical values, to be immoral. But for the most part, from what we've observed, they seem to work pretty well together. I, I mean, insofar as you consider that what they do is what they are. Yes. I, I remember when I was younger, I used to think that all animals hated each other, and that all animals, it was, they were driven to attack. <laughs> that's a funny way to look at that. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I guess that, that's, that's just what I learned, that when an animal sees another animal, it's going to try to kill it, and that's it. There's no Where did co- you get this idea? I mean, I see animals not killing each other Russia. all the time. I learned it in Russia. <laughs> there are no squirrels. You never saw a dog and a cat not kill each other? So, so funny story about cats and dogs. When I was younger, I used to think that cats are female and dogs are male. I I had that that sort of notion as as a young child. I remember that. Uh, that's a very odd thing to have. I just I guess they assume, I assume that there's one type of animal, and these are just the two forms of it. So one type of like four legged animal that, that goes into the house, and these are the two forms of it. There's a a function of active. Um, animals of some sort that we can that we, we also have because the whole evolution thing i know it's still a theory and all <laughs> we still have this primitive mammalian primitive brain structure man the rest of it, yes we've gone a little further so there are ways that we can figure out and observe with enough introspection and analysis and i'm sure we'll get into big data eventually here too how to improve upon what we know but inherently speaking we cannot go against our nature we cannot stimulate uh, evolution. And if we do, we're going to, st- if this is somehow possible, we're going to evolve in a way that's detrimental to us. Just because things uh, evolve doesn't mean they're necessarily the best ones. If we have people who are better at staying up late, uh, be- sorry, uh, of, of being less sensitive to light, I still don't want, I still wonder if that's going to be good for us. I think technically 
Every species is considered to be perfectly evolved for its niche. And the only reason why species become extinct is that the conditions have changed. But the problem is that we refuse to accept that we have certain... I mean, that we have... A, a that the conditions have we, changed? No, no we, we, we refuse to accept that we have a niche. We, ref, we instead think we can live anywhere and everywhere. Well, we're, we're pretty good at it. But then when things go bad, we realize, oh, crap... How dare nature destroy us so much? What's hey? Why is why is God so bad to us? Or why is nature so bad to us? We should change nature. Let's build a dam. Let's affect this massive population. That's or, that's what we're good at. We are very skilled at doing those. We things. are very good at changing our environment, but to the point that the environment is is destroyed because of us. If I, you, I take issue with that idea of destroying the environment, we're only changing it. The world will be here long after we are not. Right. So I remember <laughs> Colin had this great bit where he said, um, the planet's not fucked. You're fucked. The planet's going to be here long after you're gone. So you might go extinct, but the planet will be here. will be just, just fine. Because over time... Although even the idea that we're going to ruin the planet for the other species, I think, is misguided. I mean, whatever wiped out the dinosaurs didn't wipe out everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I guess there's maybe there's an egotistical lamentation here of we're everything that that was good for us now is going to die out. And you think about the things that we eat now. In some ways, like, like certain, why are certain veg, fruits and vegetables so synergistic with how our bodies work? Well, because we are on the same planet, we evolved in the same exact way. So there's going to be some kind of cohabitation response. Mm -hmm. If we destroy all the plant matter that, we, that exists now. We, as who we are now, are going to die out. And they'll be into something else. I think it's just it's us refusing to accept. It's not that we're destroying the planet. We're destroying the planet that's suitable and hospitable to us. We're making it possibly less hospitable to us. Definitely. Less. Well, I mean, in terms of there would be less, there would be. I mean, if water levels rise, well, I mean, there's more of that's going to be less hospitable. In general, things. I'm, would be I'm not saying that if we just keep doing what we're doing and just ignore what's happening. Mm -hmm. Then it won't become more. It won't become less hospitable. But I don't think it's realistic to think that it's going to become less hospitable without anybody noticing. So once it starts, we would definitely notice. Yeah, right. So once it starts to become inhospitable, mm -hmm. people are going to start devoting resources towards changing it to be nice. Maybe we'll discover that living under under the sea is actually not that inconvenient and <laughs> we'll have bioshock in real life or maybe i don't know i mean i can't predict the future but i'm just pretty 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 confident in the ability of the human race to continue to modify its environment to its advantage into perpetuity to its advantage but the problem is that we're not we have not gotten to the point yet where we realize that our advantage is being in sync with everything else that's around us and rather than trying to destroy it to make it fit our needs, figure out why it is the way it is and how we can adjust to that. Is because it likely that we will eventually have to leave Earth because we've made it inhospitable? Yes. If we can survive long enough without killing ourselves, which is pathetic. we probably we, will. No, but just think about how dare a species destroy a planet because of its selfishness and its refusal to cooperate. But... No, 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 no libertarian, well, oh, this is what people do. No, this, no, no, this no, no. that's clearly, not what I'm going to say. That's not what I'm going to say. This is clearly a sign that people are so... It, we're only making it inhospitable to ourselves. It's like the kid that, like, eats too much ice cream and then gets sick. It's like, we're going we're gonna to make this mistake, and then we're going to learn our lesson. somebody to take care of him. And more importantly is, somebody made that ice cream. 
and they should be shot for using high fructose corn syrup. Dude, you get sick from eating ice cream, whether it's made out of sugar or high fructose corn syrup. But you, you, people have developed things that are so bad for them, and then you haven't instilled this, a, a cultural sense that if you overdo something, you will be worse off because of it. And we have a culture, of, especially in this country, in Western civilization, of utter excess to the point where we disregard what the impact is going to be on the other systems at large. I think that's or not small that's, even. That's moving out of favor, though. Like that. That trend is on the downswing right now. If we destroy, well, yeah, there's partially. I wonder if partially because of the recession, you have people who just have less. No, I think it's because of heart disease and diabetes. Oh, I'm talking about on a, on a larger scale. Yeah, but those yeah. are those two, are what drive it home for two people. Two thirds of the country are obese. Yeah, and that's finally starting to raise awareness. People are seeing their parents dying of heart attacks and losing limbs from diabetes. But by and the same token, you have people who are accepting, who are driving the accept fat movement. Which, once you get a majority of people, eventually becomes the, the people who are who are the majority don't want to be persecuted anymore. So then they instill values of no, it's okay to be fat. But no, it's not okay to be healthy. To be sorry, it's not okay to be unhealthy. What you're doing is inherently unhealthy, and the your organism, your as an organism, this is not what your body should be doing. Right. And I'm gonna piss off some people right now. It's it's not. It's just not a problem for the human race if some people become fat and die early. It's on a, the whole, everyone is going to notice in not very many generations that you live longer if you are not fat and if you exercise. Like, it's not going to take, I mean, how it only took one generation in this country, right? Like, the baby boomers just, like, went went crazy with, you know, their diet and they're not exercising. And the very next generation was like, whoa, let's let's do that less. And I mean, like... <laughs> I, I don't think that's going to stop. I think now even more the obese. next generation after the millennials are going to be even more conscious of, hey, like my body is basically a complex machine and the fuel that I put into it kind of matters. Oh, man. I'm gonna, I miss my wife by generation. What? I miss my potential wife by generation. <laughs> you miss your potential... Wife? Wife? By generation. <laughs> well, it's not that no one is doing that now. No, I know, I know. I'm it's not. just that more people are going to do the it. The society I want to live in is the, is the next generation. Although, I mean, you can say that about everything. If you always... I offer me a time machine, and I'll say, go forward as far as possible. <laughs> like, take me, take me to like to the peak of human civilization, please. But do you realize how much of an ogre you would be there? No, I don't. I really don't believe that that is the destiny of the human race. No, no, no. As in, like, relative to them, how much an ogre you would be. How big I would be? Just, just, like, just like someone who is an outcast. Well, I mean, physically, mentally, you just you would be perceived in some way as being an, a very much a rejected other. Although maybe if it's a pinnacle of civilization, maybe they'd be like, no, 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 we welcome everyone because we have now achieved nirvana Doubt it. by us all. <laughs> That's not the same species. Well, by then, yeah, inherently. <laughs> One can only hope. Let me rethink that. Maybe I want to go as far forward as I can still interbreed with it, with whatever humans are there. I don't want to. I don't want to go and be a Neanderthal in the Homo sapien era. What's your wife going to say about you talking about interbreeding with people in the future? How dare you? James? It's not really that I want to breed with them. I just don't want to be a different species from <laughs> from the people that I go forward to. But maybe they're very accepting. Maybe they like a little bit of kink. Maybe it's just big love, except for the entire species. Yes of love all right let's let's change gears a little bit <laughs> i'm glad we got off the well i could i could lament rob williams a little bit more but let's also in the news today watch dead boat society if you haven't watched it just just watch dead boat society 
it'll make life worth it. BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed. <laughs> Speaking of movies, apparently BuzzFeed is going to make some. Lots of money. Well, lots of money. So they took, what was it, $50 million in venture funding? Is that right? I think it was more. I thought they took $50 million from Andreessen Horowitz. Let me just check that. So BuzzFeed has an $850 million valuation. And they're taking, yeah, $50 million from Andreessen Horowitz. And from their press release, it says that they're going to expand their motion, but they're going to expand BuzzFeed Motion Pictures to focus on all moving images from GIF to feature film. <laughs> Spit take? Hmm? <laughs> Spit take? No, no, I was, I, was, uh, I, I was allergic to your pronunciation. GIF? Uh, sorry, I don't, I don't do shitty peanut butter. It's... It's mediocre peanut butter. It's got nasty oils in it. Yeah, but at least it doesn't separate, which is convenient. No, no, no. Let's take a slight detour. Things are natural and they separate. We are spoiling ourselves silly and harming ourselves in the process by demanding that something look pretty at all times. I was. Oh my I- god, <laughs> this is your rant from like six episodes ago that you didn't get to do. What? About fruit being beautiful. It's okay for your vegetables to be ugly, remember? Yeah. In fact, there was... I thought I did do the, the rant. No, you didn't. You emailed me a link, and you're like, let's talk about this. But then we didn't. Oh, yeah. Well, it's linked in the show notes. Uh, all right. Let me figure out how to get back to that. Okay. Uh, about the the, rest, the, the, the supermarket that did, displayed ugly fruit. I mean, ugly vegetables. I guess ugly fruit. Did no too. one buy it? Is that Everybody the purchased it like crazy. They bought the ugly stuff? Yeah. Well, because there was a campaign around it. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, that's not... I mean, I don't but know. But we're so we're so we're so demanding of things being quote pretty. We want we need food coloring in so, so sodium nitrate and sodium nitrate, which are two very I uh, well, Can you pronounce those very sodium nitrite and oh. sodium nitrate. Okay. There are two preservatives that are most common and sodium erythrobrate. Those are the three most common preservatives found in, in, in processed meats. They're notoriously known for being carcinogenic. And what do they do? They extend shelf life and they add a reddish flavor, a reddish hue to the meat. <laughs> Tastes like red. <laughs> <laughs> Not Kool-Aid. And it's, it's disgusting that we need to preserve our foods by giving it a fake color. This is why um, I think there's a story about fish, about why some tuna... No, I'm blanking this Well, now. blame our physiology. One looks more tasty than the other. But we're fooling ourselves into having something look t- artificially tastier. We put food coloring in the process for the sake of it being food coloring. We have to put. Oh, you want to talk about Soylent today? No, no, <laughs> I don't want to talk about Soylent. I the people who are behind Soylent are so completely and utterly at it's the pinnacle. We're near the pinnacle of of Silicon Valley arrogance and just ineptitude to, to process to understand. Wait, well, how are they inept? Wait, let's take let's deconstruct this. Because how are they inept? They think that 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 life is a combination of uh, is just is just simple matter of let's take the following vitamins that we've de- that we've thus far determined to be valuable uh-huh. to nutrients and create a drink out of it and replace natural food. Well, it's how, made out of natural food. They how, just put it all together. How dare you, dude? This is not new. No, but how, and I'm against all of it, how dare you attempt to reconstitute what food is and to, and to pass this off as this being some kind of entrepreneurial progress? It, well, okay, the, the it sheer, kind of is. Because the sheer hubris on the founder, remember he said that he wants to have, he hopes that, and maybe, I heard that from, from some, uh, that this is maybe just him being over the top because it's, it's part of a show, but 
He envisions one day that we have, you know, and every sink will have a sink of water and a sink of Soylent. How out of his mind can somebody... He's not that crazy. He, that is his, uh, that's his marketing face. Is it really? Where, how does everybody know this marketing face? Well, if, if that's the extreme he goes well, the, to... Because he wasn't, he didn't talk like that when he was, first of all, before Soylent was a business, before they went into Y Combinator and before they started doing all this stuff. And also, when he does interviews and stuff and when he talks to people, he doesn't actually try and suggest like all these crazy things. Like, for instance, he tells people like, in reality, Soylent's not supposed to replace every single meal. It's supposed to replace the meals that you're just shoving something down your throat like McDonald's because you just don't have time. And I know you don't eat McDonald's, but a lot of people do. Well, they shouldn't. McDonald's should be out of business. Well, clearly they're not. Because our values are in disarray. We're prioritizing horribly, to quote T.I. Who's T.I.? Uh, he's a rapper. All right. So it's I, ironic because then he later on went to jail for weapons or something. Went to jail for what? Morally, for, for weapons. It's from the song Live Your Life, which sampled Numa Numa. And we're dancing. prioritizing horribly. Is this a lyric? Yeah. From the song Live Your Life. All right. Clearly I'm out of touch. It's from 2009. Which is not that long ago. It's five years. Wow. <laughs> yeah, summer 2009. I think it's came out. Maybe like spring. Five years is really not that long ago. It's pretty long ago. Well, anyway. I, I mean, okay, so for instance, people who are on feeding tubes in hospitals, like, have been receiving a full nutritional value sort of sludge, which goes down their throat in the feeding tube because they can't eat. And this is something that's been done. It was done a long time ago. And the only difference between Soylent and that stuff is that one of them costs like 100 times as much because okay. of the whole medical industry. Okay, then give it to the people who need sludge. The people who can actually eat food should be nowhere near sludge. Well, food is just a combination. I mean, mo- all the protein in Soylent, for instance, comes from rice. It's rice protein. Okay. It's like, it's not crazy stuff. It's just rice. So? And that's kind of how all the ingredients are. Like, the only, the only thing that really kind of rubs you the wrong way is the insinuation that you could replace all your meals with it. Because no, it's, it's, it's that you take, you take something and you break it down to bits and pieces and then you reassign it without – food is more than some of its parts. There are things it's that we – kind of not though. Chemically, it's not. Your body doesn't care. It most definitely is. It is exactly that. Now, I want to link an article in the show notes. I remember reading about exactly this, how you can't just live off vitamins and just drink water. It's not – we haven't just ascertained every That's part. because you need calories. You can't just drink vitamins and water because you need the, the protein and the carbohydrates and the fat. If you had yes. all three of those things mixed in with the vitamins, then voila, but it's, it's food. <laughs> but still not because food grows in a certain way. Yeah, but Soylent is made out of stuff that grows in a certain way. And it's reconstituted. You take parts away and you... and you. It's like you take beef stew and go, okay, this is an acceptable meal. Then you put it in a, bl- a blender and now it's bl- brown sludge. It's not different food. It's just put, put in a blender and now it's sludge. So you're saying that everything in Soylent is just one is every single food that you... Well, I don't know how they determine what food you need to eat. I don't like this, this someone to dictate. If you want to replace your food, you can replace it with this. But what's in it that I'm, that I'm missing? Does it have garlic, parsley, and, and leek? Well, they publish what it's made out of. It's not a secret. Right. I haven't cared to look at it. Well, I, I, I just think that you, you're like allergic to the idea. Yes. To the point that you're not really giving it a fair shake. I mean, it's made out of real food. <laughs> shake. I'm in favor of people eating real food as real food in the form of real food. Okay, what is yogurt real food? 
because it's a uniform sludge, but it's got a fair number of nutrients in it. Well, it's not uniform sludge. It's a it's a processed type of food. You throw in bacteria. I mean, I can't have yogurt, and, and coconut yogurt's chock full of preservatives and nasty other things. But I mean, the point is, it comes out as a uniform substance, which is made out of a lot of other things through a process, right. just like Soylent. <laughs> so but Soylent just happens to yogurt, have the characteristic of being the right... Yogurt happens to be... Back when I ate yogurt, it was a meal you can have. It was a, it was a, it was a type of human... It's like wine. Yogurt okay. was like wine. Well, what you, I'm pointing out is that every food that's a uniform substance is just like Soylent. The only difference is that Soylent happens to be the the uh, almost perfect balance of all the stuff that you need so that if you didn't eat anything else, you would not have any major deficiencies. On the lifestyle values metric, Soylent in, in, inspires and, and encourages people to give up the time that they need to eat, the time they need to, to, to acquire food, to cook it. This from the person who complained that they have to get up early just to shovel enough food down their throat. Yes. Just last week. Yes, but I wouldn't replace that with something else. And then just because eat, f- eating food is a naturally, it's a grounding process. If but you, Soylent is eating food. I mean, no, it's not. Soylent is making food an inconvenience. If our if our lives are so busy that we don't have time to eat, then you're living. Then then you're leading your life the wrong way. You are fundamentally. Well, we go back to what we discussed before. You are doing things that don't. I'm not trying to make the argument that. People are so busy that they can't. They don't have time to eat. But that's what that's that's what meal replacements go. Because if it's for one, you're on the go, like Gogurt, that that like the preservative laden sugar. Okay, but that's not the argument that sludge. I'm presenting. The argument I'm presenting is, if at a time it for whatever reason is inconvenient for you to get good food, there should never be a time where it's inconvenient for what you. What if there's no good food around, like where you happen to be? Say you you're traveling. And you're at the airport. All you really have as an option is airport food. You're not allowed to really bring anything into an airport. Like, so I what bring do you, food. I bring food to the airport. You bring. You can't bring liquids into an airport. You can't bring liquids, but you can go in. The, and you All right, can so you can eat. Security you can bring almonds, but it severely limits your food options. I mean, you can bring dry foods, but that's no, no. no you can bring. I I've brought like a whole tray full of like rice and 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 gluten free meatballs and vegetables, and that was my food on the plane to Israel because I was worried that they might I might not get gluten free food. Okay. For whatever reason, if the food available that's currently around is not great, right, Soylent would, is a much better option than a lot of those. Right, but I would argue is forget Soylent. Focus on making food more natural, making sure that when people – that what's the, the food that's offered in, in, an air, in an airport is normal food. Okay, but that's putting it out of your own control. Now you have to rely on the airport you're at having I'm talking food. about well, – this is what I'm going to go back to. Our values are, are, are in disarray. Well, if you can't change other people's values, which you can't, then alternatively you can well, convince you, them to eat something that's well, yeah, actually you, relatively you, good. You have to start somehow. And I mean, I don't want, and I, I'm on. I don't want to be ideal, overly idealistic, although that's that's the fuel that I'm running on. But I also want to be defeatist, and I think that you're adopting a defeatist attitude. Like, well, you can't change it, so you might as well just eat this shit. Well, it's not that bad. It's, but it, it perpetuates the same exact nonsense. That, but why that, should that be? Why should that be a concern? If people want to eat something that's a, a pretty good balance, because what the, if people like Soylent? What if they find it a desirable food? Um, I ref- I've heard it referred to as we discussed this actually. You already said ch- this, yes, yes. But I I've never heard that. In <laughs> fact, I've heard that the flavor is one of the things that's easiest to get used to. You don't get tired of it. Sure well, coming, you I'm haven't sure. had it, so you can't say anything. <laughs> you, you picked a good word there, coming. I'm sure you can choose a very, I'm sure you can choose a. You can make a couple of sex references here about the people who who said those things. 
I'm trying to replay what I said in my mind. You said the word coming. I know. I <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't see the problem with people who want to eat soil and eating it. And furthermore, it's really awesome how cheap it is because there are people who starve in this world and here's a food that without any preservatives basically lasts forever because it happens to right. be dry. Then, so then if we ship a thousand crates of soil into a certain co- so a starving country that in, in it, or maybe just a thousand crates of it to people who are f- food insecure in this country. What if instead of manufacturing – well, if this is the interim solution to a larger problem – I'm okay with that. Wait, but this but solves it, your problem very nicely. But it's this economically. Not, but this is not an interim solution. This is a a shitty solution to a problem that we're not getting any closer to solving because we have shitty solutions like this that allow the bigger problem to be perpetuated, and the people who want to solve it buy this and they put it on as a band-aid as opposed to taking care of the actual problem. Okay, but you can't do anything about those other people. You don't have to eat Soylent. No <laughs> one's making you. But imagine if Soylent was given to people for free if they couldn't afford to buy other food imagine if instead of giving them giving people shitty soylent we tackled the bigger problem of why people can't afford to buy food and why what food's available and how we're growing and how things are not okay soylent is probably the cheapest nutritionally complete food available i'm not 100 percent sure but i'm pretty sure now imagine if soylent it really is given and don't don't go crazy yet (laughs) if it was given to everyone who couldn't afford food it would immediately not immediately but very quickly become associated with being a lower class food and then everyone would aspire to not have to eat soylent and then the thing the iphone of food would become the organic stuff that costs more and locally harvested or whatever like soylent could actually make your dreams come true if it was given to everyone who couldn't afford food (laughs) good food would become a premium product that people aspired to buy so you that's very I, i i like what you just meant what you said there so you're essentially creating a a brand that wants to be vilified for the sake of improving. It's it's this, not the vilified. It it will sacrifice itself. It's like the Dark Knight. It will sacrifice itself for the sake of the larger system. I don't think it would sacrifice itself because well, the brand because it becomes it becomes the 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 plebeian brand. Well, McDonald's is, and they're not gone. And rich people eat McDonald's sometimes, and they like it. And they're like, if rich people only because, ate Soylent because they liked it, first of all, that would be a great problem to have because it is way better than McDonald's for you. This is true. Right. But okay, so a couple things here. First, if in your in the perfect world, you'd have this benevolent uh, – you'd have a benevolent Soylent says, we aspire to be the shittiest brand possible. Why as do you like, say shittiest? Why can't it just be – As in like – sorry. So shittiest – I have to explain what, by, what I mean by shittiest. The lowest cost. The most base. The – the Walmart. The, yeah, yes. We want to be the most generic pre – we want to be – what, what am I looking for? But what, what comes – the precursor – not the precursor, but, but the even even the, an earlier strand of Walmart, something even more basic than Walmart. That way, this is something that's so utterly Amway generic that we will <laughs> – Amway. That we, that we become that, that poster child for this is something that you want to get off of. This is – get off. This is not what you um, – if you're on this, you are failing at life, and everyone should aspire to be above it. If a brand would, would, would produce it, would want to aspire to be exactly that. But there's going to be people who can't afford anything else, and they're going to say, you know what? I'm actually proud that I'm eating Soylent. And because, then we're going to have the same kind of Soylent pride as we have fat pride. Yeah. There's, it's part of human psychology. There's no way around that, no matter what solution you devise. In that case, I think we just poked a major hole in your suggestion, which is- It would still work. Which, it would still make good my, food a premium product. 
Yes. Just like people still go and buy flip phones, like, and it's not a it's not a premium product. But that's but because they're drug dealers. They need to, they need burner phones. <laughs> that's not true. John Syracuse uses a flip phone. Who's John Syracuse? He writes the OS ten review, oh. like the Mac OS ten review for Ars Technica. He's written every one since the first OS ten. Hey John, you're awesome. How come you <laughs> use flip phones? Because the battery lasts forever. That's a good idea. He has an iPod Touch that he uses for all his smart <laughs> things. Yeah, that's kind of that's clever. Uh, well, but I mean, the point is, like, some people say, like, it's up to each person to choose what's best for them. No, and no, it's not. It is. We, we, no, I'm, I'm, again, we discussed before, I'm, I'm fundamentally disagreeing with you. We need more of a nanny state because people do not know what's good for them. You they, say that right up until the nanny state tells you that what you want is wrong, and then you won't like it so much. If what I want is wrong, then the, if their judgment exceeds mine, you already think the government is wrong about things. You're going to suddenly think that they're right about everything once they start telling wait, you. Wait, well, well, if you put scientists in charge, which they won't, highly impact. Well, that, that, there's the problem. I mean, I, I'm, we're, we're speaking. I'm. I want a solution that's fundamentally different than what exists. Highly compassionate scientists. Here's the problem with putting scientists in charge. No scientist wants to be in charge. That's why we have bureaucrats who aren't scientists. Right. But if you and all these bureaucrats need to have scientific advisors, you need to have. You need to have okay. Here's that's how what it, we do have. Here's and they how, don't always listen to them. Here's how it has to work. This is same like with like with music. You have to have the artist, and you have to have an artist manager. But the artist managers, you have to have, you have to have a science. Yeah, you have to have scientist who's in charge and the scientist's manager. What do you do when the scientists don't all agree? Perform experiments. I mean, yeah, but you get, we do that all the time, and the scientists don't all agree. You get rid of the ones that are against the natural world. That's 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 my thing. So, well, going back to something for a second, my concern, even all I mean, any pick any field of science, you are not going to find consensus on everything. Good, we can use we could use some debate F- debate that's not fueled by lobbying dollars. Wait, wait so I'm going to go back one time to Soylent. But if we give the food, if we give this as food to somebody else, we create a system that's dependent and unsustainable. What system we want to eventually go to is everybody eating good food. If people are eating soil and they, they will think, well, this is easier than eating real food. Why am I going to value real food? So to circle back to we're making the planet unsustainable, I think if every one of the 6 billion people on planet Earth was eating Soylent, we'd be able to probably balloon up to a population of 20 billion before we didn't have enough resources to produce Soylent for everyone. That's terrible. We need fewer, not more. I'm not saying that we should have 20 billion people. I'm saying that six. you said that the planet cannot sustain the population. And if there is a solution, if you make a really cheap, easy to produce food and everyone eats but it. But that's not the way we're supposed to be living. That's not living a, a pro, That's not living a life that's in, that's in tune with how our bodies are supposed to function. Have on you this seen planet. Firefly? No. Okay, well, there's this, there's this, maybe. It's sci-fi. It's sci-fi. But it's, like it's kind of like more Wild West than sci-fi i would hate that even more (laughs) i mean did you like star wars i hated star wars okay well i also hate star trek i don't like there is this great scene in firefly that i think you would enjoy where one of the people on the ship they're like on some planet comes back with a small wooden box and they pull it open and like show it to the entire crew and everyone is like whoa and it's a strawberry and there, and apparently it's like super expensive, and it's like, how did you even get that? That's where we're going to because we need we, we we don't value the nature that's in wisdom. We think we know better. I think you think would we, like, think we could create better. Well, what do you not like about Wild West stories? It's same plot. It just it's it's I, I, you know, the only thing I liked remote remote related to the Wild West was City Slickers. 
being under nature and being in that wild environment. That was pleasant. So you don't like, you don't find the idea of pushing the boundaries appealing at all? Um, not that way. I like I, dead poets. If I want people pushed the boundaries, I want dead poet society, not independent young guns living a. Well, no, that's not what fireflies. It's they're oh. not young. They actually are like the leftover people who were part of the resistance of like a civil war, and they're like the people who are still alive and now they're smugglers. They're kind of like staying on the fringes. Of, no, no, you asked me about Wild West in general. Like, I, I, yeah, which is very much. But that's not what Wild Westerns, West stories always are. Westerns usually have older characters who. Westerns have, are not based on how the Wild West actually was. No, I know, but I'm saying as a as a sort of a what do you call it frontier genre. Frontier. Not not spaghetti some... westerns as a genre, but just the the sort of the idea of the frontier as a story element. I find it very appealing because I find frontiers in general appealing exploration i mean maybe if you have one, i'd rather see a some story about magellan's life marigo vespucci or something okay but that's the same kind of story a realistic story about magellan's life would be a frontier story sure but i don't want it to be in space i want realistic fiction not science fiction although i want to get into like i want to read things like dune things like that i have a copy you want to borrow it maybe this week's book recommendation is dune <laughs> I do want to explore. I mean, I also want to read some more. I want to read Ray Bradbury. I want to see how these people have these massive worlds in their heads uh-huh. they, that they create and they, they, that are based on. I think the issue with sci-fi, and I, we may have discussed this before, is that especially if they create a creature, it is completely fabricated. Which means that whatever a creature, is, like if they create like an orc. Okay, there's no aliens in most sci-fi that I find cool. Most, so you have a certain taste of it, but. It, they create creatures that I can't understand what the depth in them is. They'll, okay, so they'll a sci-fi, let's say, that doesn't have aliens in it. Like Asimov. There's no aliens in Asimov. It's just like, I mean, there's robots. Robots are pretty believable. I mean, So may, I think that I'm intolerant of the title of the, 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 type, the, the type of genre of sci-fi because I associate it with things like Star Wars and Aliens. Asimov, I want to read more of. Okay. Especially given how long ago he wrote it. What One of the most interesting things In about sci-fi is that you have smart people exploring what a possible future could be. Right. But this, this, is where, this is where I think I'm a little, I'm a little uh, hypocritical and contradictory. I'm fascinated by futurists, but yet I don't and, – and technology and how it works and how people explore these things yet i haven't explored this you know what i think it's time it's night time i do i think night time and high time mean the same exact thing i've, this was, this I've was, never actually heard anyone like in real life say night time really oh we clearly haven't texted enough but <laughs> to be fair i also use very odd words like you text. like you ac- anachronistic terms is like one of your hobbies even the term anachronism i love See? anachronistic <laughs> i remember back in like i remember this was back in the Sixth or seventh grade, I was in a, a religious studies class, and my teacher asked, "Do you know what a word means that means something from a different time?" And I remember, I think the previous weekend, my brother mentioned to me we were watching a Knight's Tale. I'm like, "Wow, this is very anachronistic." Like, what does that mean? It's a big word. Well, the soundtrack does not. I didn't actually sound like that. But my, the soundtrack doesn't fit the time period because they're playing like Queen. It was very much kind of mixed up. Yep. Um. The thing is, having old stuff in a futurist thing is not an anachronism. Old things can be in their future just fine. Right. <laughs> like, I can listen to the Beatles today. It doesn't make a story where I listen to the Beatles in an anachronism. Right? This is true. But, yeah. 
for some reason that contrast still is interesting, funny, but fun. When you when you listen to some of the singles, for instance, of like Fleetwood Mac, I was listening to Rhiannon yesterday on my way home, and it just does not sound like any singles I've heard. Now, it just you expect singles to be high higher energy. Uh, no. uh, there's definitely been a movement towards loudness and more like sort of like a beat beat driven because you, you need, because it catches your attention catch your attention and it's so stimulating i don't necessarily see a problem with that i actually but it it, it reduces the variety to again it's unsustainable you go into uniform but structure. it's not because now you have access like everybody who has a smartphone can download spotify if they want more than top 40 it's at their fingertips this, right but then the issue is when you have something, <laughs> we're back to prescriptivism versus everyone can do what they feel is right. <laughs> I, this, we're gonna. This is gonna be for a very long time. <laughs> the pro, the, when you have something that's mass appeal, it's because it's mass manufactured for the sake of people to, of con, to consume it. Yeah. People don't want to consume something because nobody wants to be a sheep. People end up being sheep without realizing it. But on the other side of that through, coin, thank you, Robin. The other side of that coin is that people don't want to miss out on something that everybody else has been a part of. Right, but people don't actually want to be a part of it. People like this music because they keep hearing that. One of the links is in the show notes about how people are tricked into liking a song. It's like almost we're being held hostage by the song until we like it. It's, it's, it's top 40 Stockholm Syndrome. Well, I think that's, that's becoming... That effect has been reduced over the last decade. Like, I used to, because I have very low exposure to mass look, media. Look at the Black Eyed Peas song, Good Night. It's going to be a good night. I mean... I um, liked that song the first time I heard it. You didn't like it. You did. I did. Really? With all your... James, you just went down a peg in my book. The very first time you heard it. I, the very first time I heard that song, I enjoyed it. And I looked at my phone, because of course I wasn't consuming it from mass media, and I was like, huh, oh, Black Eyed Peas made a new album, and the rest of the album is shit. Oh, the, wow, then the rest of that must be really bad. It is really bad. It's really, really terrible. And I was disappointed because Monkey Business, I think, is probably the best album they ever made. Where's the love? I mean, I didn't like the song, but I like the concept of the song. <laughs> I mean, Monkey Business, when they put it on MySpace, because that's how long ago Monkey Business was made, it was like the maybe one or two albums before the Goodnight song, whatever it's called. And like... The first song starts with the sort of like spaghetti westerns guitar, like James Bondish, which is not a spaghetti western, but you know, like the uh, the slightly distorted, like whatever. You can go and look, listen to the first song in Monkey Business if anyone actually cares. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Uh, the song is called Pump It, and uh, just pump it. it. I really liked that song. I listened to all five songs that they posted oh, on MySpace. Sounds like a little surfy. Yeah, a little, yeah, yeah kind of. What's that? What There's a term for this. It sounds a little bit like... Like kind of Kill Bill, yeah, James no, but, Bond. But there's a term for that type of surf music. And I'm blanking on it right now. It sounds a little bit like... It sounds like almost like a wave coming at you. Like you would, you would hear from <laughs> uh, from Austin Powers. I guess. Anyway, I listened to the five songs that they posted from that album on MySpace like over and over and over again. I would just keep going back to the tab where MySpace was open and starting it from the first song. And like, I don't know, that was, that's when Black Eyed Peas were like huge. They were big. I, I just, I don't think it's true that this stuff is being forced on people. I think there is a contingent of people who like each of these songs. Not everybody does. Surf rock, apparently that's a thing. Surf okay. pop, surf rock, wow. In any case, 
who can really say that one type of music is good and one type of music is bad? I mean, it's completely subjective. If one type of music is specifically designed, so the music we have now is like candy. It is developed in a synthetic way. No, I would say that was true 10 years ago, and it's becoming less so. It's less saccharine We're getting than better it at it now. We're getting we're getting te- saccharine as in, no sorry it's 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 like fast food. It's intentionally designed to be high in fat, sugar, and salt. So it appeals. Except to- for listening to top forty music doesn't make you live less time. It doesn't give you a disease. If you like it, you like it. <laughs> but you don't. You like it because it appeals to your senses that have been tricked. So we've realized okay, f- our physiological our physiology says we like the following things. Uh-huh. They find a way to exploit that. Those it's marketing. They're, our physiology is exploited for the sake of us consuming something again that we don't necessarily actually want. But we, music itself and is so a if, concoction of a bunch of things that just plugs into our our like brain setup. I mean, music is the whole idea of like let's make sounds and those sounds pleasure us is bizarre, except for that it's been around forever. Yes, and there's ways that we found that these things stimulate a little a little bit more, and we find it to be enjoyable. So, so what's wrong with making music which is more and more desirable? Because you're creating something that isn't actually it's not substantive. It's some Something that's especially designed for the sake of. Did you watch the consuming? free jazz thing? I posted a link in the last one to the free jazz YouTube video. Um, no, I did not. I kind of think that everything I hate about free jazz, you're gonna, hold, you would hold up as this is what musicians should be doing. How come? I don't know because you're saying that the music that is so completely honed to plug into our like things that are so base so least common denominator is bad and that it's like no, no, it, candy it's, it's, it's if you have something that's like okay you have a hook in a song you uh-huh. had hooks back in the, but when you get it down to a science and you're then you're you're pissing on the art form i want, I want to read a quote because i said I, I came across this earlier it's robin williams said it in the, in the film august rush uh, you know what music is God's little reminder that there's something else besides us in this universe. Harmonic connection between all living beings everywhere, even the stars. Which is a very um, pleasant uh, discussion on music. I, I want to recommend another book. This is Your Brain on Music by Daniel Levitin. I think, I think it's the author. I'll link in the show notes. Um, I just, I think it's it's an interesting thing that we're disagreeing about this. Me having been I've gone through all the stages of hating popular music and thinking the music industry is horribly messed up. And, you know, I mean, I I even pursued a a career in music for a while and not making top 40, like, (laughs) but then I sort of realized that all these conspiracy theories that music lovers come up with about how the record industry is like, you know, shoving things down their throat are I don't I don't believe it anymore. I don't think it's true. I think the record companies, especially now with the internet, people discover what they like and the record I mean the the radio stations just play what they think their listeners will tune in for. Okay. So I mean I I I spent less time working music than you did. I mean, the fact that Daft Punk can be in the top 40, to me, is just, like, evidence that... Well, yes, time, times there are changing. But once a company, once the established acts, and these established acts are the ones who have a label behind them. Like, I remember when I first heard Sam Smith, I, said, I heard, wow, this guy is kind of like a male Adele. And then... I send it to send that exact text to a friend. Hey, have you heard this guy? This, I like the song. I'm like, well, first of all, he's he's popular, so that's why his music spread. It's because he's 
put out by a larger machine. Uh huh. He said, "Yeah, that's those exactly the words that Rolling Stone said." Which made me think, wait a second, this is this is likely that this is image is so fine tuned uh-huh. that we have a manufactured artist here and has a certain skill set, and they found okay, how can we tackle this particular th- hole in the market? They view music as there being a hole. in the I don't market, think that's true. As opposed to having actual artistry and craft, there is actually a hole in the market, and some artist comes in and fills it, and then the music industry just snatches them up and promotes it because they see that people like it. The music industry I hope it's like that. The I, music industry really isn't a big enough business to it's, support it's, this level of conspiracy. It used to be massive. It never was that big. Billions. At, it, it was unsustainably big because they're charging the entire bucks music for a industry CD. is smaller than just like the the five largest corporations. Probably smaller than any one of them. I'll yes. bet you Apple is worth more than the entire music industry. This could very well be true, but. And I use them as an example because they are the largest company. Yeah, but within this industry, you have people who are very much indulgent, okay, and prone to enjoying the lascivious, the lasciviously finer things in life. And I do mean the, and I use the term "finer" in in, in air quotes. So why would those people promote the basest, most least common denominator music? Because that's. That's what's easiest. We because you hook them in a burger that's fat that's full of fat, sugar, and salt. And there's tons of sugar in the bun. You, people don't realize this because they didn't watch Supersize Me or read it about McDonald's. If you don't, if you don't know about it, you don't expect this. This would be the case. It's there. You create something that's intentionally designed, and then there's food scientists. You have a very scientific, rigorous scientific process mm-hmm. when you create hits when you create earworms this is what's been known to be a hit this is what this is what what's known to work this is the timely thing to have like lots of ooos in songs which is really big in like 2010 2011 like at the end of 2012 and how is this evidence of a a music industry conspiracy and there's no there's no conspiracy they just they're they're making things that sell and they're making it on a mass level because this is this is the thing that they can they can dish out and, see, and they don't have to take a risk on it all right I think that there is a reason why the college music, the college radio station that plays Bell and Sebastian and Flaming Lips does not accumulate listeners away from radio stations like BLI that play, and I'm naming like whatever New York stations, but that play top 40 music. And I think the reason is that people would rather hear the top 40 music. When they're flipping through their radio, they choose top 40 over of the college course, radio. Of course. Because well, how is that the wait, music industry's fault? But they're choosing... They, so you, you, you're you're saying the exact point I'm saying, but from 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 a side of of they're innocent. I'm saying that they're guilty. What's I just don't see if, if the song is specifically designed. This song is designed to be liked. As opposed to a song that is that is a piece of art. Okay, but that that's created by the artist, and then the record label goes and promotes it. And the record labels that don't promote wait, wait, the wait, songs wait, that are designed wait, wait, to be back liked, up, back up, back up, back up. they go out of business. The the artist doesn't create it, and the record label record label promotes it. The record label says, "This is what you're going to make. And this is and this is what we're going to accept." Okay, like for maybe, instance, when, but when, that, when John Mayer's um, record, I'm sure. Okay, the music industry is full of people who are counterculturalists, and I'm but sure they need to that, make money, and they did, they did take fewer risks. You have small labels like Jaguar, where Bon Iver's on that. Yes, but Bon Iver, But if Bon Iver had such mass market appeal, then but the, we create the market. At, at this point, we've moved... If there was money to be made, 
selling Bon Iver albums to 40 million people or 100 million people or however many it takes for a record label to get rich, they would spend the advertising money and they would get rich. The fact of the matter is there aren't that many people that want to listen to it. And if they spend that money, they won't recoup it and they'll go out of business. I'm going I'm to argue again the same exact argument. There may not be a market for it. That's true. There may be a, the, the, but there was a larger market for, okay. So different time period, Fleetwood Mac, rumors sold like crazy. Their okay. singles were sounded very different than what people will create now. Their, Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac's music evolved. There was a rich history, there's a rich story, there was also less music available. The barrier to entry was higher. Now you have, and that was what was mass publicized and people enjoyed it. Now that anyone can make a song, the least common denominator has gotten lower because there's no one who can tell people, no, that is bad and we will not make it for you. Yes. Also, the loudness wars is because, almost completely because of digital. Back when it was on vinyl, Mm -hmm. you couldn't make a song as loud. Mm -hmm. The needle would jump off the record. Right. I remember not only loudness, but you also get get rid of certain subtleties in the music. I don't know what the exact... Uh, there are um, there's audio files that'll tell you that, but that's more or less been debunked. Like a 320 kbps MP3 mm-hmm. ha- has not lost any anything no, in no, terms just, of what you can actually hear. No, no, that meant the way it was recorded. That since some things are intentionally are 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 highlighted. Uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe, but that's just that's just how they made the song. You can make anything as highlighted or unhighlighted as you want when you're in the studio. Yes, but I mean, the, but the the propensity has been go to go towards that. So now we have more artists. So you can't take a chance. You have to take a chance on all of them. I guess you want to talk about who you want to invest in. You take a chance on these artists, on mm-hmm. say ten of them, as opposed to just five. You have fewer of them, and they make. The more secure they are in their position, the more they have to create a piece that resonates with more people. You could you can take the yeah, but the internet approach. has changed all this. This is why things are changing because you so don't you, rely on the, a record label to give you distribution. Anyone, I mean, take it from me. I'm on Spotify. I'm in Amazon. Like you can go to any music outlet and buy an album that I made, and it didn't. I didn't go through any labels. Which, which don't do it if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, yes, the internet has made things more niche. You have things that are niche, and you have still the traditional route of when something is okay. But you also have an addressable market of three billion people. When something which means is you don't popular. have to, you don't have to hit everybody. You can be only address. You can be making music that only one percent of people like. Yeah, and you have and you have a that. so look at Dave Matthews Band. Ugh. They have a very rich. Well, I'll take Black Eyed Peas over Dave Matthews Band any day. You non hippie. <laughs> <laughs> take Dave Matthews Band. They have a very very rich following for whatever reason. Um. Because people like their music. They're not uh-huh. top 40, but people... They res- totally are top 40. They have really long songs. They're not top 40. Yeah, but their music has been in the top 40. How long ago? I don't know. I hate Dave Matthews Band. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I know about them and hate them is evidence. <laughs> they- when you have something that has absolutely mass appeal, mm-hmm. in, a way, in, in, an, in a place where there are options to not have mass appeal, it's because it's the lowest common denominator. And okay. when you have those common denominators, it means it caters to the most number of people, which means it cannot be, inherently, it cannot be complicated. It might have subtleties other people pick up on, but it That's cannot. That's not true. People like complicated things sometimes. Look at the, look at the bell curve of intelligence. You can't have something that appeals to everybody. Uh, well, unless, is, okay. 
kids movies that make jokes for adults are the perfect example well, of why I, that doesn't have to be true. Just because no, no, you no. don't appreciate one of the subtleties doesn't mean you can't still like the overall no, no, no. thing. I, no, I just said that. I, I made that caveat. Unless there's a subtlety that appeals to the other other side, like pink in the brain. Some of those jokes go way over your head and like, oh, but, but as an adult, you pick up on that. Uh-huh. Some cartoons have really, now they've just gone more and more basic. When you, I, ha- I don't know. SpongeBob has all kinds of adult jokes. Like, you can watch Cartoon Network, like anything made for children, and there's usually like a contingent of adults that also love the show. I don't, I don't think that's going away. When you have music that is formulated, okay, for a lot of people, for when you have music that's formulated in the equivalent of sugar, fat, and salt to prey on our physiological weaknesses, but it's not a weakness because it's not. It's not sustenance. Music is just art. It's, it's, it's designed to plug into those physiological things. It's designed to stimulate us in a way, but we don't feel satisfied after, because then, then we move on to the next song. We don't. No, the difference is it's more th- like a disposable razor. Like, it doesn't last as long. A, new, a, new, a super simple, catchy, but not much to it pop and song. And what's the point of that? It's only good for 50 or 100 listens. And that's the problem. We don't create relationship with anything anymore. The same, the same way we speed through relationships, and this is the job. That but swipe Radio, right, Radiohead swipe, is doing just fine. Swipe right for Tinder. Swipe right for this new, for, for, on this new job. Swipe. People don't take the time to just be slow with something. Radiohead is doing fine. I'm, I'm, I don't follow the Radiohead. What, what's Radiohead name? makes long, complicated songs. Yeah, not at all top forty, and they make they aren't going through labels anymore, and they're making tons of money. So this is this is the David Matthews example. You have a smaller subset. Dave Radiohead appeals to a very smart audience, and it's just, it's a subset of the population, as opposed to it's not a mass audience appeal. They're well, not. You're you're complaining that there's mass audience appeal things out there, but what's the problem with them existing if Radiohead can simultaneously exist and make money? Because there are people who don't know that they're that they're being duped into doing this, into into consuming this, and then making. If they money. don't know, then they don't like music very much. They. This is where, as a consumable, music is the kind of thing where if you like it, you always have to seek out new when stuff. When you are when you are a kid. Yep. You are, you are, your parents protect you from the bad things. Back now, there are more bad things to protect you from. <laughs> there will be no black-eyed peas in this house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you have... Uh, your parents protect you from the cold, from the rain. They, they feed you. You don't know how to take... You don't know that these things are bad for you. You don't know how to protect yourself from this. I'm advocating that you have people who don't know that this music is designed to take advantage of them so that they just... they, they, they this is we, what we're. What's happening now is what has not happened before. We have taken culture, and the same thing we discussed in episode three, episode. Maybe, it's been usurped by marketing for the sake of people consuming something, so that, so that it, these companies can make money off of it. And right, then I, I think I think and, this and, argument. And, I don't think we're going to convince one another, but I want to ask you: What would your ideal future be for the music industry? Then, um, what was the more like what what future of for music would make you happy well my future for music includes my future for everything else i the government tells you what you're not allowed to listen to they like outlaw things once they hit the top of the charts no they outlawed div- not outlaw th- that's all government can do that's their only power uh, forget government here for a second <laughs> <laughs> you have a cultural and a value shift that advocates and clamors for sincerity authenticity and not 
being duped into 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 taking something and 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 consuming it for, to mull things over to go slower through things s- slow things down and eventually go to a system of patronage and uh a minimal a, so you think a, that podcasts as a medium is kind of evidence that that's happening already i mean people make i listen to two and a half hour podcasts happily soon I mean, yes, slowly but surely. Okay, so we're heading towards your ideal future. But why does the old stuff have to go away? Because it's not old stuff. Because it's a it's a temporary it's it's a uh, an, a lengthy and I hope temporary glitch in our system of how we view that we no, want to I exploit would be, people. I would be very very sad if an album like Monkey Business doesn't get made anymore, or if Zed doesn't exist anymore. Zed is like one of my favorite DJs. It's totally just like whatever simplified like he just takes pop songs and dubstepifies them basically my i my don't have a problem with that my <laughs> issues with with ex with exploitation of any sort exploiting the environment exploiting people exploiting th- ex- inherent to exploitation is this is this conniving manipulation it's interesting that you use the word exploitation because exploitation is fundamental to our ability to not be hunter-gatherers anymore you need exploitation in order to rise above being a hunter-gatherer but you can be a compassion you can but you can exploit compassionately and be mindful of what the impact is going to be you see you can be selfishly exploitative or you can say no no i want to do this in a responsible way that that keeps other people and everything else in consideration i get to i'll weigh the cost benefits what is the likelihood that all six billion of the people in the world will not be selfish simultaneously because once one person is selfish then they accrue more resources through their selfishness uh, and uh, then they win wait wait wait, wait. <laughs> until this if we get to the point where it, if you have f- five billion nine people who are unselfish that one person the moment they're selfish they will be squashed like a bug i don't think that's true if you have that big of a majority of people who are trying to be compassionate and selfless if everyone is being selfless and Part of being selfless is not always eyeing the person next to you to see if they're. They don't eye, but if they see something that's. If all you have to do is take a little more than everybody else, and you quickly rise to the top. You, I, I, I think, logistically speaking, you will be you will be ended before you have a chance to do anything like that. The system be the the, the system of behavior would be so fundamental would be so fine tuned that a person would even think if they thought twice if they thought that to do it that they want to deviate from a system that clearly is. M- more beneficial to society, to the planet, to everybody. Well, you're assuming that every single person is doing the exact same thing and that a difference would be immediately noticeable. But it's not realistic to think that every single person would be living the same way because we need people to take all kinds of different but we, roles, but which we, makes it much yes, harder to detect a small so, difference. But we'd be so sensitive to things that are unfair that we catch onto that right away. The same way that we are intuitive, like, oh, I think it's in a rain. What's that weird, funny feeling? We'll, we'll, we'll catch on. And maybe it'll be a brief I don't thing. think that's true. The, the, the rain of the selfish... So what happens when people have ambitious ideas that would benefit everybody? They need more resources to do that. Is that not going to be allowed? I'm not saying everyone should only get us. I'm not advocating for pure communism. Well, how do you differentiate Jeff Bezos from Elon Musk at the beginning? How do you know when it's the beginning of Elon Musk and he hasn't made Tesla and SpaceX yet that he's going to go and do those things in the future? Right now, he's just the guy behind PayPal getting rich. Because is he that need- going to get shut down? But he needs to get that money to be able to do those things. Whereas if he said, this is guys, we- because... But how can you tell he's not Jeff Bezos? Because in the fu- what I would advocate for in the future is that because of what we'd value, we'd put people like Elon Musk would exist 
and that would be the norm. Is okay. Let's let's use a better example because both of those people are in the middle of being maybe evil, maybe not. But let's talk about Bill Gates. Okay. There was a substantial amount of time where, in the system you're describing, basically everyone would agree that Bill Gates is an exploitative, evil capitalist. And now he's no his goal single-handedly doing probably more good than anyone else in the world. Not single-handedly. I shouldn't say that. There's a lot of people that are part of the Gates Foundation, but. His financial contributions are what make it possible, which comes from his role as the evil capitalist. Explain to me what you mean by evil capitalist. When you, in, relative to evil capitalism of say, um, Monsanto. Um, I don't know enough about Monsanto, but Gates was crushing companies left and right. He was crushing, but was he harming people's health? Sort of. I mean, there was... A- yeah, people got fired, people got laid off, and they eventually found a job. But was he harming... Was he inherently, deliberately... 15 years of progress in software wasn't made because there was no alternative software to Microsoft. That does harm everyone. Hmm. I hope that silence, I hope that silence I just had doesn't get removed because that was a pensive silence. I'm pretty sure your breathing was picked up by the microphone. Good. <laughs> I, I just... I don't know. The evil monopolist is not always a net loss for society. That's true. And I don't know. It's, it's really difficult to eliminate the net losses without also eliminating the net gains. And if you're going to lose both, then you may as well stick with what you have because it's, it's a wash. And I realize it, it's possible that the magnitudes are different, but I don't think they are. In fact, the exploitative aspect of capitalism is basically what powered progress and now it's getting a little out of hand where the the rich are so 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 much richer but i mean if you look at the standard of living for everyone like if you average together the standard of living for everyone on the globe the last hundred years has been gangbusters awesome yes but at what cost to like the planet well i don't know we'll see if we anticipated or if we, as soon as we realize there's a, there's a problem, we looked at it and said, okay, wait, we have to slow down. Is what we're doing... So today we had a meeting, and, and part of the meeting was... In, I started discussing, okay, what we're essentially doing in some parts is because there's only a finite number of resources, we're taking some resources away from other business from districts, from, from other districts. Yes, that's which, what... Which means, which makes me wonder, at what point do we have to say, wait, wait... We have to play nice because if we compete too heavily and we think too microcosmically, we're going to destroy the New York City startup scene. No, because if you, I mean, I mean, and then and then at some point, I mean, the reply was, I think you're giving us too much credit in terms of how how much impact we can in the city. But if we somehow can convince people, enough people, to move out of Midtown East, and it's not it's not our goal, but if that if by virtue of what we're doing, people decide to relocate from somewhere else, but that's where market forces are so great because they account for that. On a sliding scale, the more people move out of Midtown East, the lower prices get, which in- puts an increasingly strong force on people to want to move there. I mean, when Midtown East gets cheaper, that is way easier than Williamsburg, for instance, commute-wise. It's like well, it's not, you- it's not just not just commute; it's you know why why people would choose to set up somewhere. But sort of that automatic push-pull that's generated by the market is something that, I mean, I don't know of any other way to to create that. I mean, I'm not trying to like sound like a libertarian or, you know, but the market has this characteristic of automatically compensating for things, even if no one notices they're happening. A slightly cheaper apartment two blocks to the east is more desirable 
because it's just two blocks. You could walk it, save two hundred bucks. But whereas why? Whereas why I advocate that there you sh- no one should make money off housing. You shouldn't make money off real estate because people need a place to live. If well, you what get- better way to signal who wants it the most? Um, get rid of it. You can't not charge people for real estate because everyone wants to live in the desirable neighborhoods and no one wants to live in North Dakota. I mean, you can't just say move wherever you want. Everyone will say, okay, I'll take the penthouse in, I don't know, on 23rd Street. People might fare better there. People might fare better in North Dakota than New York City in terms of uh, having a more natural life. But yeah, but they, you give up so much culture by being in North Dakota instead of New York. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of culture in cities that doesn't exist when you're just living by yourself in the middle of nowhere. You, Whereas, miss, you miss the opportunity to meet people. You miss the opportunity. You miss professional opportunities. You miss all kinds of things. The internet is not a perfect replacement for those things. Man, I could avoid people in North Dakota. That'd be hey, great. Go, go ahead. We could do these over Skype. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to abandon you, James, but I think I just booked a flight to North Dakota. <laughs> I challenge you to go there for a month and see if you want to stay and not come back to New York. North Dakota, I mean, it's a little hicky for me, but... No, it's really not. It's more like Canada. Oh. Oh, well, no. Wait, what part of Canada? Culturally, I don't know. So barren? (laughs) (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) Kidding. Just because it was was easy. I would have said that about anyone. (laughs) I mean, it's not... I don't know what you mean by hicky, but it's not like the South. Hick-dash-y. No, I know. I realize it sounded, but <laughs> like, have you been upstate New York? Yeah. It's beautiful. More, it's more like that than it is like, say, Georgia. Yeah. But I don't want to be around the people in upstate New York. I just want to be around, well, actually, I'm not sure. Maybe around some people. I want to be around the nature. I want to be, we need more nature in New York City. How dare we, how dare we build a city that doesn't have nature? It's atrocious. I spent two hours. I sent you that photo of my neighborhood out in Brooklyn. That's Brooklyn. That's the outer boroughs. What do you mean outer boroughs? It's half an hour from here. That's outer borough. That's Brooklyn's considered to be an outer borough. As, so they're all outer? Which yeah. boroughs are not outer? Manhattan. Okay. Yeah. So fine. I guess so. But I mean, I'm as close to where we are right now as, say, Times Square is. If I lived in Times Square, it would take me the same amount of time to get here. Really? Yeah. That's like where I come from on Monday, Wednesday, Friday over the last Man, couple of months. Man, and I would so much rather be in, what's your neighborhood again? <laughs> Dimmis Park. Dimmis, then Times Oh, Times Square. What way, way cheaper than Times Square. Dim- uh, Times Square is like my least favorite place on earth. What a heinous place. Remember, when, when, when you, we used to meet at The Productive, which was our original recording space, um, I think only our first episode was, was recorded. Only first, only our first public episode was recorded there. Yeah. Um, it was I, so noisy. Noisy, but I, I used to take the train to Times Square. Back, back when I used to live in the Bronx. And it was horrible. I was always so glad that we that we used to meet at like maybe seven because by then the train was somewhat normal. Although I was leaving at six and it was still a little messy. Let's call it. Let's do it. See you next week, folks. Safari.